Hey sis, welcome back to Girl Good Night. I'm Return of Lamac, and every Sunday you can relax to binaural beats while I read you a melanated bedtime story. Tap into this show on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. All links will be in the episode description. Submit original work and future episode suggestions to girlgoodnightpodcast at gmail.com. Help your friends sleep in melanated peace. Girl, share the show and show us some love with a five-star rating and review. To highlight the accomplishments of women and celebrate Women's History Month, we will be featuring work from female authors for the month of March. Tonight, we will be reading Sweat, written by Zora Neale Hurston in 1926. Zora Neale Hurston was an author, anthropologist, and filmmaker born in Natasolga, Alabama in January of 1891. Three years later, her and her family relocated to Eatonville, Florida, where her father became one of the town's first mayors. While attending Howard University, she participated in the student government and helped found the school newspaper entitled The Hilltop. In 1925, she moved to New York City where she became acquainted with other famous authors of the Harlem Renaissance and graduated with a bachelor's degree in anthropology from Barnard College. After graduating, she spent time traveling to Haiti and Jamaica to study various aspects of black culture which influenced her writing and got her published in various newspapers. She published her first story in 1920, and from there, published various other books, short stories, and even plays. In 1934, she founded a school of dramatic arts at Bethune-Cookman College and taught drama at the North Carolina College for Negroes at Durham. In January of 1960, she died from heart disease at the St. Lucie County Welfare Home. As she was in debt and lived in poverty, she was buried in an unmarked grave until Alice Walker located the approximate location of her remains and gave her burial site a marker in 1972. Unfortunately, Zora Neale Hurston's success and popularity didn't come until after her passing when Alice Walker published In Search of Zora Neale Hurston in 1975. She is now memorialized by having her house in Fort Pierce, Florida being designated as a historical landmark, being inducted into the New York Writers Hall of Fame, having an award named after her by the American Library Association, and an annual Arts and Humanities Festival in her hometown of Eatonville, Florida. Sweat is a short story set in Central Florida. The story depicts the tumultuous marriage between Delia, a washerwoman for the white folks, and her unemployed husband, Sykes. Sykes disapproves of Delia's occupation, although he makes no contributions to the household. One day, he hatches an escape plan from his marriage that goes tragically wrong. Now, close your eyes. Take a deep breath and sleep in melanated peace. Sweat. 
It was 11 o'clock of a spring night in Florida. It was Sunday. Any other night, Delia Jones would have been in bed for two hours by this time, but she was a washwoman and Monday morning meant a great deal to her. So she collected the soiled clothes on Saturday when she returned the clean things. Sunday night after church, she sorted them and put the white things to soak. It saved her almost a half a day's start. A great hamper in the bedroom held the clothes that she brought home. It was so much neater than a number of piles lying around. She squatted in the kitchen floor beside the great pile of clothes, sorting them into small heaps according to color and humming a song in a mournful key, but wondering through it all where Sykes, her husband, had gone with her horse and buckboard. Just then, something long, round, limp, and black fell upon her shoulders and slithered to the floor beside her. A great terror took hold of her. It softened her knees and dried her mouth so that it was a full minute before she could cry out or move. Then she saw that it was the big bullwhip her husband liked to carry when he drove. She lifted her eyes to the door and saw him standing there, bent over with laughter at her fright. She screamed at him, Sykes, what you throw that whip on me like that? You knew it would scare me, looking just like a snake, and you knows how scared I is of snakes. Course I knowed it. That's how come I done it. He slapped his leg with his hand and almost rolled on the ground in his mirth. If you such a big fool that you got to have a fit over an earthworm or a string, I don't care how bad or scary. You ain't got no business doing it. God knows it's a sin. Someday I'ma drop dead for some of your foolishness. Another thing, where you been with my rig? I feeds that pony. He ain't for you to be driving with no bullwhip. You show is one aggravating nigger woman, he declared and stepped into the room. She resumed her work and did not answer him at once. I done told you time and again to keep them white folks clothes out this house. He picked up the whip and glared down at her. Delia went on with her work. She went out into the yard and returned with a galvanized tub and set it on the wash bench. She saw that Sykes had kicked all of the clothes together again and now stood in her way truculently, his whole manner hoping, praying for an argument. But she walked calmly around him and commenced to resort the things. Next time, Mama gonna kick him outdoors, he threatened as he struck a match along the leg of his corduroy breeches. Delia never looked up from her work, and her thin, stooped shoulders sagged further. I ain't for no fuss tonight, Sykes. I just come from taking sacrament at the church house, he snorted scornfully. Yeah, you just come from the church house on a Sunday night, but here you's gonna work on them clothes. You ain't nothing but a hypocrite. One of them amen corner Christians sing, whoop and shout, then come home and wash white folks' clothes on the Sabbath. He stepped roughly upon the widest pile of things, kicking them helter-skelter as he crossed the room. His wife gave a little scream of dismay and quickly gathered them together again. 
Sykes, you quit grinding dirt in these clothes. How can I get through by Saturday if I don't start on Sunday? I don't care if you never get through. Anyhow, I done promised God and a couple other men I ain't gonna have it in my house. Don't give me no lip neither as I throw them out and put my fists upside your head to boot. Delia's habitual meekness seemed to slip from her shoulders like a blown scarf. She was on her feet, her poor little body, her bare knuckly hands bravely defying the strapping hulk before her. Look at here Sykes, you done gone too far. I've been married to you for 15 years and I've been taking and washing for 15 years. Sweat, sweat, sweat. Work and sweat. Cry and sweat. Pray and sweat. What's that got to do with me? He asked brutally. What's it got to do with you, Sykes? My tub of suds has filled your belly with vittles more times than your hands has filled it. My sweat is done paid for this house, and I reckon I can keep on sweating in it. She seized the iron skillet from the stove and struck a defensive pose, which acts surprised him greatly coming from her. It cowed him, and he did not strike her as he usually did. Nah, you won't, she panted. That old snaggletooth black woman you running with ain't coming here to pile up on my sweat and blood. You ain't paid for nothing on this place, and I'm gonna stay right here till I'm toted out foot foremost. Well, you better quit getting me riled up, else they'll be toting you out sooner than you expect. I'm so tired of you, I don't know what to do. God, oh how I hate skinny women. A little awed by this new Delia, he sidled out of the door and slammed the back gate after him. He did not say where he had gone, but she knew too well. She knew very well that he would not return until nearly daybreak also. Her work over, she went on to bed, but not to sleep at once. Things had come to a pretty pass. She lay awake gazing upon the debris that cluttered their matrimonial trail. Not an image left standing along the way. Anything like flowers had long ago been drowned in the salty stream that had been pressed from her heart. Her tears, her sweat, her blood. She had brought love to the union, and he had brought a longing after the flesh. Two months after the wedding, he had given her the first brutal beating. She had the memory of his numerous trips to Orlando with all of his wages when he had returned to her penniless even before the first year had passed. She was young and soft then, but now she thought of her naughty, muscled limbs, her harsh, knuckly hands, and drew herself up into an unhappy little ball in the middle of the big feather bed. Too late now to hope for love, even if it were not Bertha, it would be someone else. This case differed from the others only in that she was bolder than the others. Too late for everything except her little home. She had it built for her old days and planted one by one the trees and flowers there. It was lovely to her, lovely. Somehow before sleep came, she found herself saying aloud, oh well, Whatever goes over the devil's back has got to come under his belly. Sometime or other, Sykes, like everybody else, is gonna reap his sowing. After that, 
she was able to build a spiritual earthworks against her husband. His shells could no longer reach her. Amen. She went to sleep and slept until he announced his presence in bed by kicking her feet and rudely snatching the covers away. Give me some cover here and get your damn foots over on your own side. I ought to mash you in your mouth for drawing that skillet on me. Delia went clear to the rail without answering him. A triumphant indifference to all that he was or did. The week was as full of work for Delia as all other weeks, and Saturday found her behind her little pony, collecting and delivering clothes. It was a hot, hot day near the end of July. The village men on Joe Clark's porch even chewed cane listlessly. They did not hurl the cane knots as usual. They let them dribble over the edge of the porch. Even conversation had collapsed under the heat. Here come Delia Jones, Jim Merchant said as the shaggy pony came round the bend of the road toward them. The rusty buckboard was heaped with baskets of crisp, clean laundry. Yep, Joe Lindsay agreed. Hot or cold, rain or shine, just as regular as the weeks roll round, Delia carries and fetches them on that Saturday. She better if she want to eat, said Moss. Sight Jones ain't worth the shot and power hit it would take to kill him. Not to her, he ain't. He sure ain't, Walter Thomas chimed in. It's too bad, too, cause she was right a pretty little trick when he got her. I'd have married her myself if he hadn't beat me to it. Delia nodded briefly at the men as she drove past. Too much knocking will ruin any of them. He done beat enough to kill three women, let alone change their looks, said Elijah Mosley. How psych can stomach that big black greasy mogul he laying around with gets me. I swear that eight rock couldn't kiss a sardine can I done throwed out the back door way last year. Oh, she's fat, that's how come. He always been crazy about fat women, put in Merchant. He'd have been tied up with one long time ago if he could have found one to have him. Did I tell you about him coming sitting around my wife, bringing her a basket of pecans out his yard for present? Yes, sir. My wife. She told him take him right straight back home because Delia worked so hard over that wash tub, she reckoned everything on the place tastes like sweated soap suds. I just wish I'd have caught him there. I'd have made his hips catch on fire down that shell road. I know he done it too. I sees him grinning at every woman that passed, Walter Thomas said. But even so, he used to eat some mighty big hunks of humble pie to get that little woman he got. She was as pretty as a speckled pup. That was 15 years ago. He used to be so scared of losing her, she could make him do some parts of her husband's duty. They never was in the same mind. There ought to be a law about him, said Lindsay. He ain't fit to carry guts to a bear. Clark spoke for the first time. Tain't no law on earth that can make a man be decent if it ain't in him. There's plenty of men that takes a wife like they do or join the sugar cane. It's round, juicy, and sweet when they gets it, but they squeeze and grind, squeeze and grind and ring till they ring every drop of pleasure that's in the mouth. When they satisfy the day's wrong dry, they treat them just like they do a cane chew. They throws them away. They knows what they's doing while they's at it and hates itself for it, but they keeps on hanging after her till she's empty. 
Then they hate her for being a cane chew and in the way. We ought to take Psyche and that stray woman of his down in Lake Howell Swamp and lay on the rawhide till they can't say Lord of mercy. He always was an overbearing nigga, but since that white woman from up north done teach him how to run an automobile, he done got too bigdy to live and we ought to kill him, old man Anderson advised. A grunt of approval went around the porch. But the heat was melting their civic virtue, and Elijah Mosley began to bait Joe Clark. Come on, Joe. Get a melon out there and slice it up for your customers. We's all suffering with the heat. The bears done got me. That's right, Joe. A watermelon is just what I need to cure the episodes. Walter Thomas joined forces with Mosley. Come on there, Joe. We is all steady customers, and you ain't set us up in a long time. I chooses that long, bow-legged, Florida favorite, a garden beetle. You all give me 20 cents and slice away, Clark retorted. I needs a cool slice myself. Here, everybody chip in. I'll lend you my meat knife. The money was quickly subscribed and the huge melon brought forth. At that moment, Sykes and Bertha arrived. A determined silence fell on the porch and the melon was put away again. Merchant snapped down the blade of his jackknife and moved toward the store door. Come on in, Joe, and give me a slab old sow belly and a pound of coffee. Almost forgot to a Saturday. Gotta get on home. Most of the men left also. Just then, Delia drove past on her way home as Sykes was ordering magnificently for Bertha. It pleased him for Delia to see. Get whatsoever your heart desires, honey. Wait a minute, Joe. Give her two bottles of strawberry soda water, uh, a quarter of parched ground peas, and a block of chewing gum. With all this, they left the store, with Sykes reminding Bertha that this was his town, and she could have it if she wanted it. The men returned soon after they left and held their watermelon feast. Where did Psych Jones get that woman from, no how? Lindsay asked. Over a popka. Guess they must have been cleaning out the town when she left. She don't look like a thing but a hunk of liver with hair on it. Well, she sure can squall, David Carter contributed. When she gets ready to laugh, she just opens her mouth and latches it back to the last notch. No grandpa alligator down in Lake Bell ain't got nothing on her. Bertha had been in town three months now. Sykes was still paying her room rent at Della Lewis's, the only house in town that would have taken her in. Sykes took her frequently to Winter Park to Stomps. He still assured her that he was the swellest man in the state. Sure, you can have that little old house soon as I can get that woman out of there. Everything belongs to me, and you sure can have it. I sure abominates a skinny woman. Lordy. You sure is got one portly shape on you. You can get anything you want. This is my town, and you sure can have it. Delia's work-worn knees crawled over the earth in Gethsman and up the rocks of Calvary many, many times during these months. She avoided the villagers and meeting places in her efforts to be blind and deaf. But Bertha nullified this to a degree by coming to Delia's house to call Sykes out to her at the gate. Delia and Sykes fought all the time now, with no peaceful interludes. 
They slept and ate in silence. Two or three times Delia had attempted a timid friendliness, but she was repulsed each time. It was plain that the breaches must remain agape. The sun had burned July to August. The heat streamed down like a million hot arrows, smiting all things living upon the earth. Grass withered, leaves browned, snakes went blind and shedding, and men and dogs went mad. Dog days. Delia came home one day and found Sykes there before her. She wondered, but started to go on into the house without speaking, even though he was standing in the kitchen door and she must either stoop under his arm or ask him to move. He made no room for her. She noticed the soapbox behind the steps, but paid no particular attention to it, knowing that he must have brought it there. As she was stooping to pass under his outstretched arm, he suddenly pushed her backwards, laughingly. Look in the box there, Delia. I done burn you some. She nearly fell upon the box in her stumbling, and when she saw what it held, she all but fainted outright. Sight! Sight, my God! You take that rattlesnake away from here! You gotta! Oh, Jesus, have mercy! I ain't got to do nothing of the kind. Fact is, I ain't got to do nothing but die. Tain't no use of putting on airs, making out like you scared of that snake. He's gonna stay right here till he die. He wouldn't bite me cause I knows how to handle him. Know how he wouldn't risk breaking out his fangs getting your stingy legs. Nah, now sight, don't keep that thing around here to scare me to death. You knows I'm a fear of earthworms. That's the biggest snake I ever did see. Kill him, Psych, please. Don't ask me to do nothing for you. Going around trying to be so damn ass to Paris. Nah, I ain't gonna kill it. I think a damn sight more him than you. That's a nice snake, and anybody don't like him can just hit the grit. The village soon heard that Sykes had the snake and came to see and ask questions. How the hen fire did you catch that six foot rattler sight? Thomas asked. He's full of frogs so he can hardly move, that's how. I eased up on him. But I'm a snake charmer and I knows how to handle him. Shucks, that ain't nothing. I could catch one every day if I so wanted to. What he needs is a heavy hickory club lean real heavy on his head. That's the best way to charm a rattlesnake. Nah, Walt, y'all just don't understand these diamondbacks like I do, said Sykes in a superior tone of voice. The village agreed with Walter, but the snake stayed on. His box remained by the kitchen door with its green wire covering. Two or three days later, it had digested its meal of frogs and literally came to life. It rattled at every movement in the kitchen or the yard. One day, as Delia came down the kitchen steps, she saw his chalky white fangs curve like scimitars hung in the wire meshes. This time, she did not run away with averted eyes as usual. She stood for a long time in the doorway in a red fury that grew bloodier for every second that she regarded the creature that was her torment. That night, she broached the subject as soon as Sykes sat down to the table. Sight, I want you to take that snake away from here. You done starved me, and I put up with you. You done beat me, I took that. But you done killed all my insides bringing that varmint here. Sykes poured a saucer full of coffee and drank it deliberately before he answered her. 
A whole lot I care about how you feels inside out. That snake ain't going no damn well till I gets ready for him to go. So far as beating is concerned, you ain't took near all that you gonna take if you stay around me. Delia pushed back her plate and got up from the table. I hate you, sight, she said calmly. I hate you to the same degree that I used to love you. I done took and took till my belly is full up to my neck. That's the reason I got my letter from the church and moved my membership to Woodbridge, so I don't have to take no sacrament with you. I don't want to see you around me at all. Lay around with that woman all you wants to, but gon' stay away from me in my house. I hate you like a sucker egg dog. Sykes almost let the huge wad of cornbread and collard greens he was chewing on fall out of his mouth in amazement. He had a hard time whipping himself up to the proper fury to try to answer Delia. Well, I'm glad you does hate me. I'm so tired of you hanging on to me, and I don't want you. Look at your stringly old neck. Your raw bone legs and arms is enough to cut a man to death. You look just like the devil's doll baby to me. You can't hate me no worse than I hate you. I've been hating you for years. Your old black hide don't look like nothing to me but a pass of wrinkle up rubber with your big old ears flapping on each side looking like a pair of buzzer wings. Don't think I'm a gonna be running away from my house neither. I'm going to the white folks about you, my young man, the very next time you lay your hands on me. My cup is done running over. Delia said this with no signs of fear, and Sykes departed from the house, threatening her, but made not the slightest move to carry out any of them. That night, he did not return at all. And the next day being Sunday, Delia was glad that she did not have to quarrel before she hitched up her pony and drove the four miles to Woodbridge. She stayed to the night service, Love Feast, which was very warm and full of spirit. In the emotional winds, her domestic trials were borne far and wide so that she sang as she drove homeward. Jordan water, black and cold, chills the body, not the soul, and I want to cross Jordan in a calm time. She came from the barn to the kitchen door and stopped. What's the matter, old Satan? You ain't kicking up your racket? She addressed the snake's box. Complete silence. She went on into the house with a new hope in its birth struggles. Perhaps her threat to go to the white folks had frightened sights. Perhaps he was sorry. Fifteen years of misery and suppression had brought Delia to the place where she would hope anything that looked towards a way over or through her wall of inhibitions. She felt in the match safe behind the stove at once for a match. There was only one there. That nigga wouldn't fetch nothing here to save his rotten neck, but he can run through what I brings in quick enough. Now he done towed it off now on the half a box of matches. He done had that woman here in my house too. Nobody but a woman could tell how she knew this even before she struck the match, but she did and it put her into a new fury. Presently, she brought in the tubs to put the white things to soak. This time she decided she need not bring the hamper out of the bedroom. She would go in there and do the sorting. She picked up the potbelly lamp and went in. The room was small and the hamper stood hard by the foot of the white iron bed. She could sit and reach through the bedpost, resting as she worked. I want to cross Jordan in a calm time. She was singing again. The mood of the love feast had returned. 
She threw back the lid of the basket almost gaily. Then, moved by both horror and terror, she sprang back toward the door. There lay the snake in the basket. He moved sluggishly at first, but even as she turned round and round, jumped up and down in an insanity of fear, he began to stir vigorously. She saw him pouring his awful beauty from the basket upon the bed. Then she seized the lamp and ran as fast as she could to the kitchen. The wind from the open door blew out the light and the darkness added to her terror. She sped to the darkness of the yard, slamming the door after her before she thought to set down the lamp. She did not feel safe even on the ground, so she climbed up in the hay barn. There for an hour or more, she laid sprawled upon the hay, a gibbering wreck. Finally, she grew quiet, and after that, coherent thought. With this, stalked through her a cold, bloody rage, hours of this. A period of introspection, a space of retrospection, then a mixture of both, out of this an awful calm. Well, I done the best I could. If things ain't right, God knows it ain't my fault. She went to sleep, a twitch sleep, and woke up to a faint gray sky. There was a loud hollow sound below. She peered out. Sykes was at the wood pile demolishing a wire-covered box. He hurried to the kitchen door, but hung outside there some minutes before he entered and stood some more minutes inside before he closed it after him. The gray in the sky was spreading. Delia descended without fear now and crouched beneath the low bedroom window. The drawn shade shut out the dawn, shut in the night, but the thin walls held back no sound. That old scratch is woke up now. She mused at the tremendous whirring inside, which every woodsman knows is one of the sound illusions. The rattler is a ventriloquist. His word sounds to the right, to the left, straight ahead, behind, close underfoot, everywhere but where it is. Woe to him who guesses wrong unless he's prepared to hold up his end of the argument. Sometimes he strikes without rattling at all. Inside, Sykes heard nothing until he knocked a pot lid off the stove while trying to reach the match safe in the dark. He had emptied his pockets at Bertha's. The snake seemed to wake up under the stove, and Sykes made a quick leap into the bedroom. In spite of the gin he had had, his head was clearing now. My God, he chattered. If I could only strike a light. The rattling ceased for a moment as he stood paralyzed. He waited. It seemed that the snake waited also. Oh, for the light. I thought he'd be too sick. Sykes was muttering to himself when the whirr began again. Closer. Right underfoot this time. Long before this, Sykes' ability to think had been flattened down to primitive instinct and he leaped onto the bed. Outside, Delia heard a cry that might have come from a maddened chimpanzee, a stricken gorilla. All the terror, all the horror, all the rage that man could possibly express without a recognizable human sound. A tremendous stir inside there. Another series of animal screams. The intermittent whir of the reptile. 
The shade torn violently down from the window, letting in the red dawn. A huge brown hand seizing the window stick, great dull blows upon the wooden floor, punctuating the gibberish of sound long after the rattle of the snake had abruptly subsided. All this Delia could see and hear from her place beneath the window, and it made her ill. She crept over to the four o'clocks and stretched herself on the cool earth to recover. She lay there. Delia! Delia! She could hear Sykes calling in a most despairing tone as one who expected no answer. The sun crept on up, and he called. Delia could not move. Her legs were gone flabby. She never moved. He called, and the sun kept rising. My God, she heard him moan. My God from heaven. She heard him stumbling about and got up from her flower bed. The sun was growing warm as she approached the door and heard him call out hopefully. Dylan, is that you I hear? She saw him on his hands and knees as soon as she reached the door. He crept an inch or two toward her, all that he was able, and she saw his horribly swollen neck and his one open eye shining with hope. A surge of pity too strong to support bore her away from that eye that must, could not, fail to see the tubs. He would see the lamp. Orlando with his doctors was too far. She could scarcely reach the chinaberry tree, where she waited in the growing heat while inside she knew the cold river was creeping up and up to extinguish that eye which must know by now that she knew. Are you still up? Girl, good night.